Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Quick announcements. Um, don't forget this week is Grace Groups. So um, don't forget Grace Groups. Um, Josh and Jennifer Kleinsmith, who have been coming to our church last uh, three, four months or so are starting a small group and it'll be this Friday night at their home. I don't believe that they're here today. If they are, they may come late. Um, we can give you more information about that. Be checking your emails for that. And so this Friday night, um, I believe they're going to be starting there. So again, they're not here. So in case that's changed, check your emails. Um, if you want to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, if you're just joining us again, welcome to Grace Church. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor. We're glad that you're here and wanted to worship with us. We're kind of in a, a series ever since Easter. Easter, we talked about why the cross, why did Jesus have to die, why is, why is his resurrection a big deal. Then we talked about the return of Jesus because the Bible very clearly says that Jesus will return to take up those who follow him or Christians uh, to be with him for eternity in heaven. Then last week we talked about Judgment Day and the Bible clearly talks about that there will be a day for all people that they will stand before God in judgment. Um, and there's two different kinds of judgment. Judgment for Christians, uh, which is called the Christians call it the judgment seat of Christ, and um, there'll be different levels of rewards in heaven and, and so on, and God will ask us the, the main question, what did you do with the resources that I gave you while you were on earth? So that's what we'll be judged on. Um, and then for those who are not Christians, they will stand before what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment, and uh, in judgment because why did you not accept Christ? You had chance after chance. Well, today we're going to talk about what's down with hell what's down with hell. Next week, we'll talk about what's up with heaven. So you kind of can understand the, the geography there. What's down with hell, what's up with heaven will be next week. But Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us in this passage, in my opinion, the clearest uh, illustration or example of hell of any of his teachings. Jesus talks uh, more about hell than he does heaven. So that really should get our attention, right? So Jesus talks about hell. Luke 16 is the best story that he gives, or the Bible calls it a parable, but it's a story. We don't know if this was a real account that actually happened or if Jesus is trying to illustrate a larger point. But in Luke chapter 16, uh, if you want to stand when you turn that, that's in the New Testament if you're unfamiliar. Uh, Luke 16 in the New Testament, you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, who was a follower of Jesus, probably a, a non-Jewish follower of Jesus who was a doctor um, and played a major role in Christianity. Luke chapter 16, and we'll start in verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus is telling this story, whether it's fact or uh, just an illustration, we're not sure. But he says, there was a rich man was, who was clothed in purple and fine linen, which means he's very, very wealthy, who feasted sumptuously every day. He had Thanksgiving food every day. And at his gate of his mansion was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. 
the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word that gives us life that gives us hope and joy and meaning. It shapes who we are, that we can have a better understanding of who you are, that we might honor you and live for you in all that we do. We give you this service today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence that is in this place. Lord, we give you all honor and all glory. We give you this message. You would open up our hearts and minds. Father, that these would be your words and not mine. We love you and we thank you, and we're nothing without you. We give this day to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Luke 16. If you want to turn very quickly to, if not, that's okay, and, and I'll read it for you, but in Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through 11. And another angel, the third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and its image... And receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out, poured out uh, with full strength and the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, whoever receives the mark of its name. The Bible is quite clear, and those are just two passages on hell. There's several others. There's illustrations in the Old Testament, and then Jesus here, his perhaps clearest picture that he gives us, uh, but he mentions hell elsewhere. He, at one point, um, mentions hell and talks about it uh, being like the garbage dump that was outside of the city of Jerusalem, that it was continually smoldering because the fire would never stop. The, the, the fire would just continually burn, and it was stinking, it was disgusting. But other references, if you want to write these down and look at them later, Matthew chapter 25, verse 30, verse 41, verse 46, Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and 48, all passages that deal with hell. And again, there's many, many more. This is not an exhaustive study on hell, but I don't know about you, but it's been a long time since I've heard a sermon or a message on hell. I've preached on it not too long ago, a few years ago, I believe, and used Luke 16. 
But want to answer some basic questions that we may have according to what we see here in Luke 16 and in Revelation and elsewhere that kind of by having a, a, a larger bird's eye view of what Scripture says, we can compile them together and it gives us a very clear understanding of hell. And towards the end, we'll, we'll answer four common uh, myths or four common questions about hell. Now typically, what we do here on a Sunday, people would call it preaching or a sermon. Today's slightly different in that it's gonna be more of a teaching. Um, because hell is something that, especially in today's society, is made fun of, we joke about it, we use it, um, in my mind, uh, sometimes as a, as a byword or a curse word. Um, and, and I think that's exactly what the devil would want us to do. Because the more that we can make fun of it, the more that we can downplay it, the more that we can be comfortable with that concept that it's not that bad or it's a party or only, only people like bin Laden and Hitler go to hell. I mean, I'm a good moral person. That's not for me. The more that he can convince us to use that word and have that kind of that world mentality that it's really not that bad, then the better off he is because he's fooled us into thinking the severity of it and the reality of it. And so that's what we want to, it's more of a teaching maybe to correct or maybe to instruct. If you've never heard a teaching or preaching on hell, hopefully today when you walk out of here, at least that's our goal, you have a very good understanding of hell so that when you see what the media or Hollywood or whatever talks about hell, you say, no, wait a minute, I don't think that's what the Bible says. So the first thing we want to talk about, what is hell? What is hell? And again, we might joke and say, well, hell would be when the pirates have a losing season. Again, we try to downplay it. We try to make fun of it. We try to be cute with the vernacular. And I just encourage as Christians, please don't do that. Don't, don't, don't use that word because it's so serious and it's so real. And the more that you kind of downplay it, especially around non-believers, then they think, well, yeah, hell is it. The pirates have a losing season. That's bad. Or, or boy, hell is my job. I mean, hell is my marriage and, and so on. And I'm, I'm saying all those things are bad, but there's a gulf of a difference between literal hell, and even when we use that in a cute kind of sense, we flirt with that, and the, your current situation. What is hell? Hell... For those who reject God's grace, love, forgiveness, and salvation. In other words, it is for those who rebel against God. Hell is regardless of your race. Hell is regardless of your gender. Hell is regardless of what church you go to. Hell is regardless of your education or lack thereof. Hell is regardless of your financial status. Hell is regardless of fame. Hell is regardless of power. Hell is regardless of poverty and so on. Quite frankly, hell doesn't care. You can be the most powerful person, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? The most wealthy of wealthy people still go to hell. The most poor of the poor still go to hell. The most educated with three PhDs behind their name still go to hell. The most uneducated still go to hell. People who go to churches every week, Jesus says in Matthew, that how many of you will say to me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, we cast demons in your name, we prayed in your name, will still go to hell. There are people in churches across America today sitting in a chair just like you are or a pew that are going to hell. Hell doesn't care if you go to Assembly of God Church or Baptist or Methodist. Hell doesn't care if you can quote the Bible. Hell doesn't care if you can say the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't matter. Hell doesn't care if your parents went to church and they gave a lot of money. It doesn't matter. Hell, hell doesn't care if you're white, black. Hell doesn't care if you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. Hell doesn't care if you're Hispanic or Asian or African American or white. doesn't matter. Hell is regardless of those things. 
understand, we'll talk about this a little later, hell, as the passages that we read, especially in Revelation, remember what it said in Revelation 14, that that smoke, they're in torment, what? Forever and ever and ever. There is no end to hell. Now, there's some teaching out there that is quite dangerous. It's not quite. It is extremely dangerous, so avoid it. Drop it. Uh, that, that's called annihilationism, which simply means hell is not forever. It simply means, no, God is so good and so just. Yeah, people will go to hell, and, and they'll serve their sentence. They'll serve their punishment. But at some point in time, whether that's five years or 5,000 years, God will just annihilate them. They'll just poof as if they never existed. God will just wipe them out. I mean, that's just not right that God would let them live forever and ever. Let me tell you, that's not what the Bible says, and you need to either confront that teaching or drop it because that's not biblical. It's not true true it's unbiblical and it's scary and it's dangerous when you flirt with that kind of teaching because that informs your life and before you know it as you're maybe teaching another christian and or a non-believer it informs them and now you've got false doctrine and false teaching that is poisoning and perverting the minds of people that are out there no don't take it by some great pastor that you love or even me study it yourself and as we've said before when you study the bible Typically, the most easiest translation or understanding is the most accurate. So listen, let me tell you something. When the Bible says that hell is forever and ever and ever and ever, it means it. That's not Jesus isn't playing some game that, well, you need to know Greek and Hebrew because it really doesn't mean that. And well, and before you know it, we play these, these theological games with the Bible and we begin to twist a little bit here and a little bit there. And before you know it, that's exactly what the devil would love us to do. No. Hell is eternal it is eternal punishment it is not a great big party it is not well my friends are going to be there yeah they may be there but let me tell you a reality of hell you won't know that they're there we'll talk about that hell is eternal it is eternal punishment hell is the final home for satan who rebelled against god and satan's demons or former angels Hell and the worst part of hell is that it is eternally separated from God with absolutely no hope of experiencing Him ever again. Now, I want you to listen to these and, and I, because we don't have time in one 30-40 minute sermon or message to give you all of these verses, okay? So, but what I'm about to tell you word for word is from Scripture. So you can look it up later if you have time. Everything that I'm about to say, so just... Hang on with me. Pay attention. If you want to write these down, you can. I don't have time to give you all the references, but everything I'm about to say is word from word, word for word from the mouth of God in his scriptures. These are biblical descriptions of hell. Biblical descriptions of hell. There's a lot of them. It's darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal fire, eternal punishment, unquenchable fire. It's where the worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. Constant torment with no relief. No water or coolness. A place of eternal torment. A place of God's wrath, eternal wrath. Torment with fire and sulfur. Smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. We read that passage. And they have no rest day or night. You are eternally conscious, conscious during that constant torment. It is a fiery furnace. It is the lake of fire. It is a bottomless pit. It is constant darkness. No light ever. It is everlasting destruction. Kept in darkness day and night. Bound in chains forever. It is a torture chamber of our own choosing. It is a garbage dump. 
It is outer darkness. It is pitch black with no light. Everything I just read to you, we pulled from Scripture directly. You understand what the Bible says about hell, and there's nothing good or encouraging about it. Hell is eternally dark. There is literally no light. Even the flames of fire do not cast light. Hell is a place that is designed for Satan and his demons. Hell is a place that for those that go there, they are constantly tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. No annihilationism. In other words, it's eternity forever and ever and ever. Hell is a place that as you're there, you cannot see anything because it's dark. So yeah, your buddies may be there, but you won't see them and they won't see you. All you will hear is their cries, their screams, blood-curdling screams that you've never heard of on this earth. Hell is a place where all you hear is constant screaming in your ears and not only the screaming of others that you cannot see, but your own screaming. But yet your voice would never give out because it's eternity. It's a place of constant destruction that we cannot comprehend because on this earth, when we say the word destruction, what we mean is it was once here and now it's gone. That's not what the Bible means about hell. It's constantly being torn apart, constantly. It's never fully done, constantly being ripped to shreds and torn apart forever and ever and all of eternity. Complete darkness. You'll be tormented day and night by Satan and the demons, but you won't be able to ever see them. You won't be able to see the hand in front of your face. It is literally a bottomless pit. Hell, we talk about a lake of fire that you might be able to stand up like you would in a lake when you wade into the water. Not so with hell. You will constantly be falling and falling and falling and falling and falling and never hit bottom. And as you're falling and falling and falling, it's complete darkness. It's total black. The flames are burning you. You are continually being destroyed inside out. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, completely destroyed. 24-7, no stop. No one else there. crying out as much as you can. No one to rescue you. No one to save you. Total dark. Being burned alive with no relief. It's not the concept that I've heard some people say, well, once you've kind of burned up in hell, I mean, there's really nothing else to burn. No, no, no. You'll never quit burning. You'll burn and burn and burn and not be destroyed and burn. and Well, they'll get used to the pain. No, you won't. The pain will never cease. You will not die in hell. No relief. Total darkness. No water. No coolness. No relief from the heat at all. None. We can't comprehend it. You can't fathom it. You can try, but you can't. No water. That's the passage that Jesus tells us in Luke 16. What are the things that stand out about this guy, the rich man? Don't even know his name. That he's in constant torment day and night, being tortured, Jesus is burned alive. He's not only hot, but being burned alive with no light, no coolness, and no water to relieve you. Think about, and the only thing that you could even maybe scratch the surface is when you're outside on a hot July, August day, and it's 100 degrees outside, full humidity, and you've been working out in your yard all day long, and you are just sweating buckets, and you have not had anything to drink for a day or two, and your mouth is so dry, your tongue swells up, you're so parched. That's not even scratching the surface of how bad it is. It's a garbage dump torture chamber of our own choosing, bound in chains day and night. No rest. 
experiencing the fullness of God's wrath completely. If you were here back on Good Friday a few weeks ago, we talked about at the cross, Jesus experienced. The cross is, is one thing with two meanings, one symbol with two meanings. It's the fullness of God's wrath poured out on Jesus, and it's also the demonstration of God's love for us. But I want you to think about this, that hell is the fullness of God's wrath poured out on you. Not you and other people, you. The fullness of God's wrath poured out. No water, no coolness, no light. Constant destruction. Bound in chains, unquenchable fire. And I love when Scripture says it's a place where the worm does not die. What does that mean? Well, um, several scholars believe that what that means is that it's, it's const you're constantly being eaten alive, if you will. And it's not a worm like a ground worm that you see in your garden. No, no, no. A worm that's, that's you know, if you, if you saw the movie Tremors back in the 90s, which was kind of a weird, crazy movie, but that, that kind of in a concept, you know, this big, nasty thing, but just eating you alive. That's what the Bible says is hell. Nowhere does the Bible even hint about annihilationism. It's unbiblical. Stay away from that teaching. That is what hell is. If hell was a noun, a person, place, or thing, that's what it is. That's what the Bible says, that it is not my opinion or the opinion of our church or denomination. What God himself, through his word, tells you is hell. Now, the second thing is, why hell? I think we should understand, as we said last week, that for the Christian who gives their life to Christ and they live this life with all that God gave them, they give it back to God, living for Him, pleasing Him, there's different degrees of reward. There's different degrees of blessing. We'll talk about that next week. No, not everybody in heaven is going to have the same amount of blessing. So it is with hell. There are different degrees of punishment in hell. Now, don't get me wrong. Everything I just described to you, that's not just for the bad people. That's for everybody. That's like the starting line, okay, of hell. And it gets worse from there. So, do I believe that, that a Hitler and a Bin Laden are experiencing the worst of the worst? Absolutely they are. A person who lives a good moral life, they're a good person, they love their family, they give back to the community, and so on and so on. Will they experience that same level of degree of punishment as a Hitler and Bin Laden? Probably not. But will they experience everything that I just described to you? Absolutely, you bet. It's not like that they're kind of in the, the, the part that it's not so bad. No, 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 they're going to be in the bad part. Different degrees of punishment. Why hell? A couple of things. Maybe you want to write these down. Hell is God's justice demands a hell. Punishment for rebellion like Satan. Without eternal punishment, God is not just. And it is just to have eternal reward, but not eternal consequence for rebellion. So those who would say, well, hell is not eternal or hell is, there's annihilationism, that's not justice. Think about this way. If God lives forever, in other words, God is an eternal God, an eternal being, then the consequence of violating his standards, which is what we call sin, carries with it an eternal punishment. Not a punishment of five years or ten years, an eternal punishment, because he's an eternal God. God's justice demands it. How can you logically, and I would love for someone to explain this to me, how can you logically have an eternal heaven with God's love and favor and bliss and everything is great, utopia, and not have an eternal hell? Then that means God is not just. In other words, God is not fair. 
God's love demands hell. God does not force himself. Listen to this. God does not force himself upon us or our will that he gives us. So those who do not wish to love God must be released from his love. Those who decide not to be with him must be allowed to be separated from him. Hell is eternal separation from God. So think about that. What is sin? It is rebellion against God. That's why Satan was cast into hell or will be cast into hell to be correct. So the idea is saying, God, I don't want your will. I reject you. I want to live life my way. I don't care about you. That's what we're saying when we sin. And you know what hell is saying? God is saying, I tried for however many years that you lived on this earth. I tried again and again and again to get your attention. I gave you grace and love and mercy and chance after chance after chance to experience my love, to experience my joy and my hope and my forgiveness and my purpose for your life. And every chance that I gave you, you rejected it. Therefore, I will not override your free will that I give you. I'm not going to dictate to you and say, I know that you rejected me while you are on earth, but I just love you so much, doggone it, that ah, my love wins in the end. No. In fact, there was a famous book written a few years ago by a heretic in my mind called Love Wins. And it's absolutely heresy that, that uh, again, it talks about annihilationism and that nobody goes to hell. It's false. No. God says, if for all the while you are on earth, and I gave you chance after chance to change, chance after chance to receive my forgiveness and my love and my joy and my hope and my peace, I give you chance after chance, and every time you reject me, then fine hands off, I will let you have your way. You win in the end. You win and I lose. I will not override your free will. I will not force anybody into heaven. If you don't want me while you're on earth, then you won't want me for eternity. Then I'm just going to release you. That's what you're saying when you rebel against God. When you continually sin, you're saying, God, I want release from your love. And God in hell will say, then so be it. You are for eternity released from my love as if I never knew you. That's why hell. God's justice demands hell. God's love demands hell. God's sovereignty demands hell. If there is no hell, there is no final victory over evil. You ever thought about that? If there is no ultimate separation, good would not ultimately triumph and God would not be in ultimate control. If there is no such thing as hell, then God doesn't win, does he? No. Because there is eternal hell, there has to be God to win eternal victory. There's eternal hell, which means God is eternal, eternally victorious. God's sovereignty demands hell. Human immorality demands hell. Sin is an eternal consequence that demands an eternal punishment from an eternal God. Human dignity demands hell. Free will demands to be free from God and it will be honored by God. Hell is eternal separation from Him. And think about this, if you don't get anything else, hell is the reason for the cross of Jesus Christ. Period. Hell is the reason for the cross of Jesus Christ. You and I just celebrated a few weeks ago Easter, Good Friday. Hell is why Easter Think about this. If there is no hell, one of two things. Either Jesus was an absolute idiot and lunatic. I mean, truly a, should have been locked up with the crazy people. Right? 
or the cross of Jesus Christ has no meaning or no value. If there is no hell, then there is no cross to save us from the hell. Therefore, Jesus died in vain, and God is a liar. It's that simple. It's that cut and dry. It's that black and white. There is no middle ground. Hell is the reason for the cross. Jesus died to take on the wrath of God, and only by accepting Jesus Christ's forgiveness can we be spared from hell. Jesus suffered hell so you could enjoy heaven. If no hell, then no need for the cross, and Jesus died in vain. And therefore, either God is a liar or Jesus is crazy. Jesus suffered hell so we can enjoy heaven. You know what? For me in my life, the closest to hell that I'll ever get is Jesus on the cross. What did we say a while ago? That hell is the fullness of God's wrath literally being continually like a waterfall, like Niagara Falls, being poured out on you. Continually being poured out. For me... Jesus came and said, no, 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 God, I'll step in so Brian doesn't have to do that. I love him too much. I'll step in. I'll experience the fullness of your wrath so he never has to. But guess what? He's not going to force me to accept that. Jesus never in my life has come down and said, Brian, I'm going to force you to give your life to me. I'm going to force you to love me. No. Contrary to what Calvinists think, predestination, all that jazz, we believe in free will. That the work of the Holy Spirit, and I came to Christ... And when I gave my life to him and my sins were forgiven, he experienced God's wrath so that I will never have to. And maybe you've heard this saying, it's kind of popular among churches and Christians, that, that if you're a Christian and you um, live your life for Christ, the closest thing you'll ever get to hell is right now on this planet. The closest thing that I will ever get to hell is right now. Unfortunately, the opposite is true. If you don't accept Christ, his forgiveness and his love and his joy and his hope and his peace, this planet is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. Whether you believe it today or not, it's the closest thing to heaven you'll ever get. I will never experience God's wrath in my life because Jesus did it for me. But those who reject the cross, those who reject God's love, and that's what the cross is, it's God's love, those who reject that, then for eternity they will continually experience God's wrath with no hope, with no reconciliation. What did we see here in Luke 16? What did, the, what did Abraham say here? Between us and you is a great chasm or a great canyon so that no one, literally no one ever, it is impossible for anyone in hell to ever go to heaven. And the reverse seems to be true here. It's impossible that no one from heaven can pass over to hell. But you know what's also interesting about this passage? What we learn is, who was it? It doesn't say that the, that the poor man, Lazarus, ever looked down on hell. It doesn't say that. It says Abraham did, but not the poor man. It says, but Lazarus looked up to heaven. By that passage and, and, and a few others, I believe that those in hell can see those in heaven. Can you imagine a torment? It's complete darkness, but the only thing you can see is how awesome it is in heaven, how beautiful it is, how glorious it is. All you can see is God's love and God's joy and God's grace and God's mercy, but you will never, ever, ever be able to experience it physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Those who reject God, even today on this planet, still experience His love and His grace. Even atheists on this planet today are still experiencing God's love and God's grace. Well, how, what do you mean by that? Are they alive? Yes, and they're experiencing God's love and God's grace. 
To be away with them would be for God not to have love and grace on them. If they have breath in their body, if they enjoy the weather outside, if they enjoy uh, eating food and just the basic everyday things, those are blessings from God. Hell is the reason for the cross. That should answer why hell. And thirdly, what is hell for? Or in other words, who goes to hell? Who goes to hell? Maybe you've been told by people you should go there. Hopefully not. Hopefully you've never said that to anyone, even jokingly. And I encourage you not to even joke about such a serious thing. If you think today is dark and discouraging, well, good, it should be. Hell should not be a fun, easy subject for us. If you want a good, encouraging sermon, come next week. We'll talk about heaven. It should make you want to go to heaven so bad you can't wait. What is hell for or who goes to hell? Understand this. God never created hell for people. Hell's not meant for people. God never created it for people. You read that in the Bible uh, in, in Revelation 14. You also read it in Revelation 19. That hell is designed for one being or group of people, and that is Satan, who was an angel who rebelled against God, rejected God's love, rejected God's grace, and he convinced a third of all the angels in heaven to reject God as well, and that is their eternal place for eternity. God created hell and the lake of fire not for people, but for Satan. But listen to this. When you reject God's love, you reject the cross of Jesus Christ, then you suffer automatically the same fate as Satan for eternity. Think about that. I I couldn't imagine. I'm not as bad as Satan. I mean, good grief. Yeah, but you make the same choice that Satan makes. Therefore, you suffer the same consequence and the same punishment that Satan has. God won't say, well, because you're a human being, I really just can't stand Satan. And and because you're a human, I'll make it worse on him and not as bad on you. No, God says, hey, I have to be fair. I have to be just. And if you choose what Satan chose to reject me, to rebel against me, then you suffer the same consequence that he does. God created hell as Satan's eternal place of torment and punishment for rebelling against him and rejecting his love. Hell is not created for people. But God will and does use it for those who, like Satan, freely choose to rebel against him. I heard this quote as I was preparing for this message, and I'm not sure who said it, but I love this. Hell is locked from the inside. You know, when people say, well, why would a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. We freely choose it. Well, how do I freely choose hell? I mean, come on. When you freely choose to reject Jesus Christ after chance, after chance, after chance, after chance on this earth, you are freely choosing hell. God will not override your free will or your choice. He loves you too much. God doesn't force them. They choose it by rejecting Him. He is merely allowing their will to rule their eternal fate. You know the reality is? You and I have so much power, it's scary. You by yourself, not your mom and daddy, not your job, not your boss, not your wife, not your kids, not your education, not your money. By yourself, you alone, not even God has this power. You alone have the power to choose eternity for yourself. You cannot choose it for your spouse or your kids or anybody else, and no one can force you to choose it. God can't force you to choose heaven. Satan cannot force you to choose hell. You alone have that power. God doesn't have it. It's in your hands. Hell is locked from the inside. It will be full of those who unfortunately chose 
to be there. The great theologian and author C.S. Lewis wrote this, and I love this. This is such a perfect statement. There are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. When you stand before God on the day of judgment, you will either look at God and say, God, every day of my life I lived. God, your will be done in my life and not my own. And those are the people who are in, enter into heaven and God's eternal blessing and reward. But then there are those who God will look at and say, you chose your will on earth and now I'm letting you have it. Your will be done. Depart from me, I never knew you. It's as if you never existed. Who is hell for? Who goes to hell? Constant torment and regret of using the free will, that gift that God gave you for evil. Every, every moment in hell, there's not day and night in hell, but every moment in hell, not only will you be able to look up and see how great it is in heaven, but I believe strongly what Scripture says, every moment in hell you will regret rejecting Christ. Every chance that you had on this earth, on this planet, in this life, rich, poor, doesn't matter. That's what Scripture tells us here in Luke 16. doesn't matter. But every moment, what does it say about the rich man? He was regretting, rejecting Moses and the prophet. In other words, Scripture. He, re he, he remembers and regrets rejecting God's love and God's mercy. That's what hell is. Every moment you will think about the chances that you had, hearing sermons like this, talking to people, feeling the nudge of the Holy Spirit working in your life, or God drawing you to Himself, and you rejecting and digging in your heels and rejecting God will replay as a video over and over and over in your mind and in your life. You'll be able to see God's goodness, and that's all, and you'll be able to remember every chance you had on this planet to accept Christ, and every time you rejected Him. That's who will go to hell. It is constantly remembering and regretting the numerous opportunities God gave you to accept His forgiveness. Constantly remembering and regretting the numerous chances God gave you to enjoy His love and His grace and His hope, His peace, and His plan for your life. Hell is not just when we accept Christ's fire insurance that, well, I'm a Christian, I don't have to go to hell. No. We accept Christ. Man, we accept God's love. We accept God's joy. We accept God's forgiveness. We accept His purpose and plan for our life. And in hell, you, when you reject these things on this earth, you'll remember everything of those. I could have experienced God's love. I could have experienced His plan for my life. I could have experienced His hope for me. You'll remember and regret it's constantly seen, but never able to enjoy God's love ever again. Let me tell you, that's the worst part of hell. It's not the fire. It's not eternally being destroyed over and over again. Eternal darkness, being eaten alive in chains in a torture chamber where uh, no light and constant darkness and being burned up, regretting those things, seeing God's love. The worst part about hell is being forever and ever with no hope of reconciliation being excommunicated from God and His love. There are no second chances in hell. This is the only second chance you get is in this life. In hell, the worst part is not being there with Satan and his demons, and all that's horrific, of course, but it is I will never able to experience His love. That's why I said even atheists on the planet today experience some of God's love and God's grace. 
And when you're in hell, you'll never get that chance ever again. You'll be able to see it, never be able to experience it. I heard a, a pastor telling someone this morning, Dr. Tony Evans, who I love. If I could preach half as good as he is, boy, we'd, we'd really be getting somewhere. But he uh, it, it used an illustration I thought was very uh, appropriate. He talked about hell being, being, and maybe this is not a good illustration, but the best that he could come up with, similar to Alcatraz. Alcatraz, when it was in operation, was an island surrounded by water. The inmates on Alcatraz could see the mainland, but could never get there. Could never get there. They could see it, never get there. Hell is like an Alcatraz, but instead of water of the San Francisco Bay, it's a lake of eternal fire and darkness. You can see God's goodness, but you'll never be able to experience it ever again. Everyone in hell, listen to this, everyone in hell will know that the point they are suffering is self-induced. Everyone in heaven will know. They will not blame God. Did Lazarus, the rich man, blame God? Nope. He doesn't say, why did God send me here? He knows. Everyone in hell knows that it's their fault. They know that they're there for a reason of rejecting God. It's self-induced punishment for eternity. I want to end by answering four common objections or questions or myths, however you'd like to phrase it, about hell. Uh, I get these. I'd love to take credit, but I'm not that smart. You probably know that. Um, by a great theologian named Dr. Norman Geisler. I don't agree with him on everything on theology, but I do agree with him on this. And these are all his. I can't take credit. I give him credit for them. But they're so good, I don't want to pass them up. Four common objections, questions, myths about hell by Dr. Norman Geisler, great theologian. Number one, why punish people in hell? Why not reform them? You ever thought about that? I had someone ask you that. Why would God punish people in hell? Instead, make it like our current prison system. Put them in hell for five or ten years or, or a thousand years. What does it matter? It's eternity. And then let them learn to reform or change and then release them. Why, why can't God do that? The answer, Dr. Geisler says, is God does not try to reform people in eternity. The time to reform is now on this earth in this life. Heaven is the eternal reward for reforming. Hell is the eternal punishment for not reforming. Hell is for those who choose of their own free will not to reform during their time on earth. That should answer that question. We can't be reformed in hell. No, that time has expired. This is the time to reform. This is the time to change. Hell is the consequence, good or bad. Heaven is the consequence for reforming here on earth and giving your life to Christ. Hell is the consequence for rejecting Christ. Hell is for those who choose not to reform during their time on earth. If, if hell could reform people, then think about this. They wouldn't need Jesus, which is contrary to what the Bible says. Teaches, and it's contrary to the cross of Jesus that he would have died in vain. No, Jesus died so you don't have to. Jesus suffered hell so you could enjoy heaven. Think about it. If I don't live a good moral life or whatever, the guy, I don't accept Christ, I reject God's love, I go to hell, I'm in hell for five years or five days, whatever, and I'm reformed, I change. And God releases me, and then therefore I'm released back to heaven. I have just skipped the cross of Jesus Christ. I have just skipped repenting of my sins. 
No, remember God's an eternal God. Sin is an eternal punishment. The time to reform is now. Second question. Isn't eternal damnation in hell for temporal sins overkill? In other words, isn't the eternal punishment overkill for a temporary sin that you committed on earth? I mean, that's not fair. That God would punish me for eternity for something that I did temporarily here on earth? Dr. Geisler says, only eternal punishment will suffice for sins against the eternal God. God is allowing them to fulfill their earthly desires by completing those desires for eternity in hell. God will not override your free will. Without an eternal separation of evil from good, which is hell, there could be no heaven, an eternal place of good. So, as we said earlier, there's no such thing as annihilationism or reform. Hey, if you believe heaven is forever and ever and ever in eternity, then you logically have to believe, I mean, you have to, there's no wiggle room, that hell is eternal as well. You cannot have an eternally good place and a halfway bad place. No. That's not a just and fair God. No. Eternally good and blessing, eternally damnation in hell. Third question. How can we be happy in heaven knowing people are in hell. Maybe you've thought about that. How can I be happy in heaven knowing there are people in hell? If we could not be happy in heaven while knowing that others were in hell, Dr. Geisler says, then our happiness would be in someone else's hands. We can be happy eating while knowing that others are starving because if we offered them the same food and they reject it. Think about that. That's a good point. Again, I couldn't come up with that. I'm not that smart. If I offer a homeless person food, the same meal from McDonald's that I buy for myself, but I give it to them and they reject it, then I don't feel bad for them. Well, that's not very nice and loving. No, that's just justice. That's just fair. They chose to reject it. What am I going to do? Force them at the table, force them on the ground, and force feed it, cram the Big Mac down their throat? No, I offered it to you. You rejected it. Therefore, you may starve and I may eat and my belly be full doesn't mean I'm not loving or caring. No, to not be loving or caring is to never even give you a chance to eat the food. That's where I think a lot of Christians get it wrong. We never even get our loved ones the chance to hear about Christ, whether verbally, whether through prayer, or whether through living a godly, holy life as an example. The question for you as a Christian today, saying, hey, hell isn't for me, but hell is for your loved ones. Hell is for your coworkers. Hell is for people in your life. Unless every person that you know is going to heaven, which would be awesome, and that's great, then God might as well take you heaven too, because then your job here is done, right? No. And Jesus said, when will I come back? When everybody has had a chance to eat. In other words, when everybody has had a chance to receive Christ and God's love. Are you doing that? That is your job, that is your duty, that is your obligation, that is your assignment by Jesus Christ. You offer the same food that you received, the food of Christ, his love and joy and forgiveness. You offer that to any and everybody you encounter. If they reject it, that's on them. You're not held accountable for their choice. We talked about that last week in judgment. Other words, if I was unhappy in heaven then I would know that my happiness is not based on God's love as it should be, but it's based on other people. And that's not healthy in this life or eternity. Fourth and finally, and the worship team can come back, why did God create people he knew would go to hell? This is probably the biggest question that I I get sometimes. I'm sure you have as well. 
why would a good, loving, just God create people who he knew would go to hell? So you might say, well, Brian, I agree with you that people choose hell themselves. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We freely choose it by rejecting God. Okay, I'll try you there. But why would God even create them in the first place? I mean, that's not fair. That's not, you talk about God's love and just and mercy. That's not love, just, or mercy. Well, the example that Dr. Geisler gives, which I think is as outstanding, is today, here in a few moments, the Pirates will play. There are two teams. Today, it's the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Milwaukee Brewers. And you can say boo when we say boo. No, anyway, there's the, the Pirates and the Brewers, and they'll, they'll face off here in a moment. But right now, before the first pitch is thrown, think about it, both teams are in their clubhouse or locker room, both of them. They both realize we're about to play a game in a few moments, and they both have a very clear understanding as a result of today's game. It's not Pee Wee League. We're trying to make everybody happy. Everybody gets a participation trophy. That's a joke. No, we realize today, before we get out there and take the field, there will be one winner and there will be one loser. Now, does either team know who the winner or loser will be? No, they don't. Not right this moment. But they still go out and play the game, don't they? God knows, but you and I don't. Likewise, from God's standpoint, it is better to have loved all the people in the world that God created and give them a chance to experience His love and His grace and His mercy and His joy and forgiveness and have lost some of them than not have loved them at all. In other words, what He's saying is, wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be more of a loving, just God to create all the people in the world and say, of all the people, John 3, 16, I want none of them to go to hell. That is not my will. God's perfect will is that no one go to hell. That's God's will. That's what he wants. But God's perfect will will not override your free will. Therefore, God says, I will create you. I will shower you every day, whether you accept it or reject it. But I will shower you every day in my love and my mercy and my grace and my peace and my forgiveness. And I hope that you'll accept it. But if you reject it, at least I gave you a chance rather than not create you at all. That's not just and mercy to not create. But at least I created you and at least I put the decision in your hands. At least I gave you a chance. You rejected it. Now I'm leaving you to your own devices in hell. Hell is eternal. There's no such thing as annihilationism. If annihilationism were true, then either the justice of God has not been met, or if it has, then they should rightly go to heaven, which is against biblical teaching. In other words, if annihilationism were true, that, that you're there in hell for a little bit and then you just cease to exist, then in other words, God's justice would not have been met. Because if sin is an eternal consequence, then it demands an eternal punishment. And if hell ceases to exist, or you cease to exist in hell, that's not an eternal punishment. Therefore, God's not full of just and mercy. God's justice would, have been, would not have been met, or if it has been met, would say, well, no, that's just God's justice, then, then why won't those people be released to heaven? We want to pray together, and in a few moments, if you would like prayer uh, for healing, again, through the 
the Holy Spirit during worship today. We know God's presence is in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come forward. We want to pray with you. Our elders will be here. We want to pray with you, but specifically healing, emotional. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.